Hi there, I'm Ben Morton and welcome to another episode of the Ben Morton Leadership Podcast. It's the weekly show that brings you inspiring interviews with senior leaders, managing directors, chief executives and global subject matter experts, all designed to help you be the very best leader you can possibly be. It's my gift to you and it's totally free. This week, I have another of my special medley episodes for you, which will provide you with practical advice on what to do when stepping into a new leadership role. This advice comes from five of my previous podcast guests, which includes Professor Michael Watkins, who literally wrote the book on what to do when stepping into a new role. If you've not read it, you've almost certainly heard of it. It's the book, The First 90 Days. On top of that, I'll share my own advice garnered over the past 20 years, leading teams myself in the military, on expeditions around the world, and leading teams in business, along with coaching and mentoring leaders at all levels for the past 10 years. So, Regardless of where you're at in your leadership career, the tips that my guests and I are about to share will help. Whether you're stepping into your first team leader role or second managing director role, there will be new insights and solid reminders for you in today's episode. So let's dive right in and give you the tips and advice you need to succeed in your next role. The first piece of advice is from me. When stepping into a new role, I believe it is critically important to block out chunks of time in your diary for thinking and processing all that you're learning. When you start that new job, there will be so many people who are anticipating your arrival and then fighting for your time and attention. As a result, you will find yourself in a huge number of meetings, visiting different locations maybe, and probably on a really steep learning curve. So to be successful and not burn out early on, you must prioritise and protect your thinking time. This time, this time that you've blocked out in your diary and protected will allow you to review all of your notes, reflect on what you've seen and heard, spot patterns and recurring themes, and then work out what else you need to learn early on in that new job. I also encourage you to think carefully about where you will be for this thinking time, physically where you'll be, as well as when you'll do it. Think about what environments and times allow you to do this sort of deep work and where you need to be to avoid the inevitable distractions. If you don't protect your time early on and if you're not clear about your initial priorities, you'll simply find that you're working on someone else's priorities. And working on other people's priorities isn't what us leaders are paid to do. Okay, let me now introduce the first guest on this week's medley episode. First up is Katie Baker, 
the managing director of PLB Group, who first appeared on episode 149 of the show. Here she is talking about listening, the power of silence, and being the last to speak. Katie, if you could give just one piece of advice to somebody who is aspiring or working towards a senior leadership position in the future, what would it be and why? Always take time to listen. I think to be engaged in a meeting doesn't necessarily mean that you're talking. I feel like some people talk for the sake of talking and I'd actually rather sit back let everybody speak, discuss the agenda points. I can digest it, interject if I need to, but actually take that time to cut through the noise. And I think, yeah, don't underestimate silence. I think silence is really powerful, not only in a meeting situation, but just when you're talking to your teams, just listen. And I think that that's something that I've only recently learned because I was always one that just wanted to talk to get my point across. And doesn't always end in the best way and it doesn't create the best environment for everybody else as well. So I think let everybody have a voice, listen, soak up as much as you can. And that's in terms of that, but also with things like podcasts and and things that you can watch to try and like develop yourself, just just listen. And I think that's a, a really important element for leadership in my view. I'm curious about how you actually went about doing that because actually for senior leaders speaking first sharing their perspective talking in meetings is a habit right like we've often been successful or been promoted because because we do that and then suddenly when we are the the senior leader in the room when people will naturally look to us because people look to the to the role often and expect us to speak first those two reasons like people's expectation and our own habits it can be really hard not to and I 100% agree like if we can hold back from sharing our view often we'll get a much much more engagement right because if we speak first and say this is what I think a lot of people will in their mind think yeah just not if that's what Ben or Katie said that must be what they want to do so we don't bother other people won't bother joining in so was there anything particular that you did to help you facilitate that change in yourself to, to really start holding back? And how hard or easy did you find it? I did find it a challenge, but what I had to, I had to physically sit on my hands, which I know sounds a little bit random, but if my hands were out, I'm more likely to put my point across because I sit on my hands. I'm not very good at talking without my hands. So I would be conscious of don't say anything yet. And obviously if somebody asks a question or says, oh, what do you think? Of course I would contribute. But I felt like I just wanted to give people that opportunity to give their thoughts first to see if they could come up with the solution before I start putting my perspective in the mix. And I think that having that conscious decision of sitting on your hands, you know, nodding away or whatever, just just stops you. It's like it's connected to your brain. It stops you from sort of blurting out. And I quite like how that transition has happened now because, you know, at the end you can go, okay, well, we've listened to all of this. Just sort of summarise. We're going to pull these points out. And actually you might throw something in that just might take it in a slightly different direction at the end. And everyone sort of goes, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, great, we'll incorporate that. So it's like you, you're adding something really valuable potentially at the end or sometimes throughout 
but you're not just bombarding with lots of noise. And I think a lot of time you hear people just go, yeah, 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 and then they will surmise what somebody else has said, but just using different words. And I think there's no point. Just be succinct. Say what you need to say. Sit back when you don't. You don't always have to be that loud influence in there, you know. Just wait until there's a point that you're really, you feel strongly about or that you're the expert in the room to answer. And apart from that, you know, just sit there and, and soak it up. So, I have made a real effort, but it is difficult, especially when it's work like I do that I'm so passionate about where you really want to jump in. But I think I've had my time doing that, you know, and it's time to let the next generation have their voice too. Yeah. So you're not the first person I've heard on this podcast actually mention sitting on their hands in order to... Really? Yeah. <laughs> people, have, uh, people have shared that before along with pinching their fingers or digging a nail, thumbnail into a finger. So that gives you something else to to slightly focus on ra- rather than speaking. Which, that's an interesting one because then is your focus on the fact that you've got some mild pain in your fingers and, you, and you're not focused on listening uh, but, but either way I've, I've heard people talk about sitting on their hands before but the thing I really love and I think is really powerful and you describing it there just made me think about it and connect to the dots slightly differently to perhaps how I have in the past but I think when a leader can do that sort of sit there listen and then as you say at the end give the summary for the team and cl- or clarify the next steps or the actions, that's super powerful, right? Because especially if you've spoken less as the leader, but you've got a really clear summarization at the end, people will, will, will remember that. And that doesn't happen in so many meetings, right? We don't sum up and clarify commitments or clarify agreements. We just kind of move on, hope that everyone's made their own notes or someone's captured the minutes but for the leader to do that summary is really powerful because it summarizes but also it says to everybody else in the room it's, it's active listening right it says to everybody else in the room I've listened and I've understood and you know I have because I've been able to give you a summary and the other thing it does that I love is that if for any reason your summary is is wrong or someone disagrees then it also gives people the opportunity to say well no hang on Ben hang on Katie that's not what I thought we agreed. I thought we agreed this. And then you can either correct them or you can carry on the debate and you know people leave with the clarity that you need to get on and execute whatever you need to do. Yeah, exactly that. Brilliant. Absolutely love it. Next up in this medley episode is Sarah Powell, the CEO of British Gymnastics, who first appeared on episode 152 with a simple yet powerful piece of advice. Sarah, if you could give just one piece of advice to somebody aspiring to a senior leadership position or indeed an MD or CEO position, what would it be and why? Spend the majority of your time with kindred spirits because they will draw on your positivity and they will put fire in your belly, and they will give you the courage to do the things that you will doubt in yourself. Love that. Thank you so much, Sarah. Let me now introduce you to Peter Fletcher, who is an old colleague of mine, and also the first Australian to row the North Atlantic. Pete Fletcher is the current MD of Well Challenge, and here he is talking about the importance of continuous learning. If you want to check out the original episode, Pete first appeared recently on episode 154. Pete, 
If you could give just one piece of advice to someone aspiring to a senior leadership position, maybe an exec position, maybe being an MD or CEO like yourself, what would it be and why? Oh, it would be continuous learning. 100%. It would be all about personal development, keep developing yourself. And I think that's professional development, but it's also self-reflection, learning from mistakes, learning from challenges, trying to develop a growth mindset. You know, there's just no substitute for it in my view. Okay. If you could highlight sort of one thing you've done in terms of your personal professional development that's really been significant and impactful other than rowing the North Atlantic, what what, what would it be, Pete? I should probably say my MBA, but I don't think it's just as powerful as all the experiences that you have and, you know, having a go at things. And sometimes they go well and sometimes they really don't. And you learn from them either way. So I honestly think that life's the best teacher, better than an MBA. And so I, I, I think get lots of different experiences try and work in different functions, whatever that means in an individual's context, and then work out where you want to be and, and, and apply all those lessons. My next soundbite and tip for you comes from Alex Brooks-Johnson, the Managing Director of Guildcare, sharing his advice about learning to understand what's truly important and how to cut through all of the noise. Alex, if you could give just one piece of advice to someone who is aiming to step into a sort of senior leadership position in the future, maybe as a director on an exec team or even MD or CEO, what two or three bits of of advice would you give them? Learn to understand what's important because you will get inundated with so many things on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis that it's so important to understand what's important in all that noise. And if you don't know what's important, then ask and listen to the answers. Work out what's important and cut everything else out. How do you do that? How do you filter out? How do you filter out some of the noise? <laughs> well, I think it's about getting a good team around you, which is obvious, but but really important because some of those things may not be important for me to do. But actually, it would be really important for, you know, that person raising that issue or to get whatever it is sorted out. So I think having the right team around you that you can delegate some of those things to is exceptionally important. But I think it's about having a understanding what is critical to the success of your organization. You know, what are those drivers that are going to move you forward or change or whatever it is you're aiming to do? having clarity in the expectations about what you understand to be important are really critical. And if you don't know, then, you know, in my case, I have a a brilliant chair and I can ask him, you know, is this important? And we can have a conversation about it and um, come to an agreement or the board in general or my senior leadership team here, you know, who are all amazing. You know, we can have an honest conversation about whether, frankly, you know, in a very direct, challenging environment, is this critically important to us? Is this something we need to be spending our time on? We're here for a limited number of hours a day. There's only so many things you can physically do. There's only so much space in your head. Uh, There's only so much energy you have as well. So, you know, you have to really focus on what's important. And just one follow-up question, because it's 
at the front of my head and I can't not ask this because it doesn't crop up that often. You mentioned having a, a brilliant chair there. Like that's a key part, right, of a MD or CEO's role. What would your top tip therefore be for working effectively with your with your chairperson? Being open and honest, and I know it uh, probably sounds like a really obvious answer, but I, you know, I, I mean it. And um, it's e- easy not to be, but being genuinely open and honest, and all those good things about being an authentic leader. And I think it's in that relationship with the chair that's fundamentally important to have that trusting relationship where I can tell him about things that I'm worried about without him worrying why I'm worried about them. That makes sense. Makes perfect sense. You know, or being fallible, being vulnerable, you know, creating that psychological safety that we, we talked about. I think, you know, it's no more important than in that relationship between the chief exec and the chair in a, in a charity is absolutely critical. So I think invest time in recruitment. You know, it's becoming more and more common for organizations to spend money on chair recruitments, whereas previous it was sort of a, you know, can we find some of the local community that's got a bit of time? You know, it's not that anymore. It's about can can somebody actually hold, an, hold a chief exec and an organization to account? Can they drive forward success? And can they manage a board of trustees and not everybody can do that it's a skill and to do all that for no pay and you know give up a lot of hours and even somebody like me who I would say is quite low maintenance you know it's still a, it's still a good few hours a week you know not everybody has that but so I think invest in the recruitment and then obviously the recruitment process and we had a very thorough recruitment process which involved our people to use our services so Peter got a grilling from all sorts of people on the panel, which was interesting, but vitally important that they're involved in the process. And we and we did listen to the you know their feedback. It wasn't just a kind of lip service thing either. So I think investment in the recruitment process and then be as be as honest and as open as you can. And last, but definitely not least, as they say, is the man who wrote the book on leadership transitions. Here is Professor Michael Watkins with his top tip on what to do when stepping into that new leadership role. Michael, if you could give just one piece of advice to an aspiring senior leader, maybe somebody stepping into their first director level role, or even bear in mind all your experience of coaching leadership transitions, advice for someone stepping into that first CEO or MD role, what what would it be and why? So what you're taking me to is what I've sort of seen as the biggest mistakes I see people make going into new roles, Ben, which is kind of the opposite, right? It's kind of like, don't do this, you know? And it's a variation on the what got you here won't get you there, Marshall Goldsmith question, right? Which is thinking you're going to be successful in a new role by doing what you've done in the past, only more so which is sometimes reinforced during the recruiting process of, you know, again, Ben, you're amazing. And what you did at Tesco was incredible. And we want you to come here and do what you did at Tesco, right? You know, sounds great, right? Ready, ready to roll, right? But you may not have a mandate to make the kind of change. What's really required may not be exactly what you did at Tesco, right? Likewise, you know, as, as you go to higher levels, what you need to do to be successful often shifts fairly dramatically, right? And so 
you know, just recognizing, I guess that's the positive view of it, recognizing when you've hit those points in your career where when what got you here isn't going to get you there and not retreating into the comfort zone when that happens because that's deadly, right? But just getting back on the learning bandwagon again, right? Embracing the reality that there may be a few new skills you need to develop or that you need to show up differently than you have in the past in some certain ways that your presence at this new level is required or this culture that you're entering demands different things of you, right? So I guess it's a it's a variation on adaptability. But where I see people get into trouble is they've been very successful getting to a certain point by doing a certain set of things. And there's a real tendency to say, hey, you know, that's what I'm good at. Those are my strengths. I'm going to keep leveraging my strengths. I can do a very long debate about should I focus on my strengths or focus on my developmental needs? The answer, in my view, to that, I think, false dichotomy is yes. But it also depends on where you want to go and what you want to do. Do you or have you noticed any differences, I guess, between those individuals who are able to spot they need to take a different approach versus those who who aren't? And I'm just wondering, how, like, how does one know? So you might be lucky, right? And you join an organization where they give you an executive coach to, to help with the transition, but not everybody will, will be that lucky. And maybe some people have got a real passion for learning and development so they might tune into that more but there'll be some people who 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 maybe don't I guess one argument would be well maybe those people aren't the ones who are gonna get the promotion into the next kind of senior role but is there anything to help people there because I'm just thinking about the person who's sitting at home who says yeah but when and how will I know that I need to do something different the obvious answer is ask the right questions (laughs) you know combined with some willingness to have a growth mindset but a piece that may be missed on this one is the power of having the right network of advisors and counselors supporting you. So I mentioned that book that Dan Champ and I wrote before the first 90 days was written right from the start. And there was a chapter in that book about advice and counsel and about the importance for senior leaders, maybe every leader, right, of building a network of advisors and counselors. Advisors meaning more technical advice on things, counselors meaning giving you good counsel on what you should be doing, right? And I think if you've got that, if you've got a mentor, if you've got some advisors, they're going to help you tune into some of that. And then I think it's just back to what you said about self-discipline, right? Just having the discipline to ask the questions, you know, is what got me here going to get me there? And now I've got two more pieces of advice for you myself. My second piece of advice would be to think very carefully And be very intentional about when and where you're trying to add impact in the early days. As a new leader, regardless of your level, it can be so tempting to want to come in and quickly make your mark as a new leader. Perhaps you've got strong ideas about changes that need to be made to processes, ways of working, priorities or even the overall strategy and maybe these are solid ideas that will work but maybe they're not and they won't my advice therefore would be to tread carefully and take your time because many of the things that you consider changing with the stroke of a pen or a quick team meeting will be the output of a great deal of hard work perhaps many months of hard work by people in your team or organization. 
In the past 10 years especially, I've heard so many stories about new leaders or new owners even coming in and making big, rapid changes only to have to unwind them later on and go back to the original plan created by the existing team. Not only does that approach waste huge amounts of time and money, but it's also incredibly demotivating for the people in the organisation. It really drives disengagement very quickly. So, tread carefully. Tap in to your emotional intelligence to understand the impact of your actions. Seek counsel from your trusted advisors and then make your decisions very intentionally. And my third and final piece of advice for you myself will come as no surprise if you're a regular listener to the show. It's one of my guiding principles of leadership and it is one of the most common themes that has emerged from me recording 150 plus episodes of this podcast. Here it is. Always remember, it's not your job as a leader to have all of the answers all of the time. It's our job as a leader to lead the team effectively so that they can come up with the answers, or at least so that they can help us find the solutions to the challenges that we're collectively facing. So remember, make sure you are building and leading a great team that can collectively deliver the results that you're accountable for. That's it for this episode, except for a few final points. If you've taken value from this free podcast and leadership resource, please can I ask you to act on that gratitude by sharing the link to the show with your friends and colleagues, and then giving the show a quick rating and review. And before you go, do also check out the Leaders Kit Bag episodes. It's the weekly micro edition of my podcast. It's on the same link, so you just need to scroll down wherever you're listening to it right now. Each episode is just five or six minutes long, and it focuses on one very practical leadership tip, tactic, or topic. So far, we've looked at things like planning and prioritization, keeping your team motivated, and resilience. And again, once you've listened to the Leaders Kit Bag episodes, do share them with your friends and colleagues so that we can improve the leadership capability in our companies, charities and institutions. After all, the world needs great leaders now more than ever. That's it for this episode. Look after yourself. Look after those that you've got the privilege and responsibility to lead. And until next time, lead on.